when God places you, because I believe He is sovereign, though He allows it, doesn't mean He caused it. He says, when you are in your exile, do not diminish. Emotionally, mentally, physically, and in every way, do not diminish. Do not wallow in despair. Do not find yourself in self-pity. Do not get into a state of depression that you can never get out. I want you actually to prosper. Wait, what? But how? How do you imagine, God, that I could prosper in a state and in a space of being that I just want to cry in? Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Uh, Tonight, I want to share with you a few wonderful things, but also some incredibly sorrowful things on many fronts. And so tonight's sermon is going to be very personal to me as well. And I pray that God might speak to you from this space. Jesus, in this night, Lord, we come to you knowing that there are many who, in the very moment as they hear my voice, wonder if you care. Wonder, God, if you've got a plan for them, really. Wonder, Lord, is there anything beyond the present moment? Do you see the pain I'm going through, Jesus? Do you, do you understand the significance of what's happening in my life? Do you know the anxieties? And so, Father, in this present moment, Lord, would you speak? But also, Father, to those who might be naive to think nothing terrible will happen in their lives, God, I pray that you would prepare us for the darkness that might emerge at some point. And Father, I pray that we would be those that would be found to say, that we can say, we were faithful. In the darkest of moments, God, please be in the space now. Holy Spirit, speak in spite of me. Jesus, may you be glorified. And we all say, amen. It was 1984. The winter, cold and brutal as it was, but the Olympians were excited to gather in Sarajevo, Bosnia, who at that time was part of a larger country called Yugoslavia. There in 1984, the slopes were created for the bobsleds, the ski lifts were created for all the numerous races, I mean, this was a city that was known as Europe's Jerusalem. It was a city that had both Muslims, Jews, Orthodox, and Christians all living together in harmony. It was a city that was praised among all of Europe as being the multicultural religious pot that no one would ever believe existed. And it was in this space that America came, Poland, Russia, Ukraine, 
the USSR at that time, I guess you could say, Mexico, Uruguay, any nation that was a nation that had a Winter Olympian was there in peace and harmony. A place that was going to have the Olympic Games. And then two years later, I was born. Two winters later in cold Sarajevo, there my mom gave birth to me at the time when winter was at its peak, December 5th. I will take any presents you want to give in six months. And uh, then two and a half years later, we came to America, 1989, July. Igor, what was the date? My brother and father are here. What was July 7th? July 7, we came to America? Yeah. July 4th, you celebrate his Independence Day. We celebrate July 7. We came to America. <laughs> Anyways, so we came to America July 7th. And then sadly, six months later, civil war broke out in my country. There in that place, Sarajevo, this Jerusalem of Europe, melting pot of peace, Religions all coexisting together now became to brew and hate everything that everyone had looked upon favorably upon it. Serbian nationals surrounded the city of Sarajevo, tanks, infantry, building bunkers around it, and what became known as the longest siege in world history. For three and a half years, my city, the city I was born in, was bombed to shreds. War emerged again in Europe only 40 years later, after World War II. My great-grandfather was a prisoner of World War II's existence. My father, born just at the tail end of it. It had just been amongst us. And war again? Darkness again? My uncle was one of the last pastors left in the entire city working for Adra, smuggling food, Bibles, medicines underneath a secret tunnel underneath the airport that had been given sovereign kind of place where no military could hit with any of their weapons on either side. And they found a way to build a tunnel that connected to a further side on the other hill beyond the airport. And there... This is how the people survived. They'd pump in fuel. They would bring in weapons. They would bring in also my uncle and the humanitarian need through Adra that brought in medicine, supplies, gave hope to the people. If you've been watching the news, you see that there is another conflict in Eastern Europe. If you think that this is far away, my friends, it's right here. Just this afternoon, talking to one of our very own Ukrainian students and his family fleeing from Ukraine and father and brother left there still to remain. I mean, this has hit home here for us as well. It brought me to tears last week, though. When I saw our, in our Adventist churches men who remain in the country of Ukraine praising God still in the midst of the darkness, they still gathered to do church. Friends, when the believers were being persecuted, 
hundreds and thousands of years ago, they always came back to what? This. Because when the believers remain together in their darkness, God can still be praised. Where two or three are gathered, what does it say? I am there. In the midst of darkness right now in Ukraine, this weekend, right now at this time, people are still praising Jesus and gathering because they still have each other and they have a voice and they have a moment to sing and say, God, you're still good. God, though our families are beyond us and in some other place, though I don't know if I will survive, God, you, you are still good. Wow. Friends, this has been the experience of God's people for millennia. When in darkness, I will still yet praise you. When in darkness, God, I will still call you good. When in darkness, I will still thrive. But how? How is that possible? It's far away from me. It's thousands of miles from me. It's countries away. How yet, God, are you going to expect me to praise you in my darkness? Doesn't make sense. You know, there's a verse that I almost get annoyed hearing because in my theological training, I understand the context. And so when people use this verse at graduations, I'm like, do you understand when that was given to people? Jeremiah 29:11, graduates. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of good and hope and a future you're going to make. Do you know the context of that verse? The children of Israel were banished into exile. The prophet Jeremiah, who was known as the depressed and weeping prophet, talk about mental health issues, talk about someone who understood crying and tears, Jeremiah wept bitterly regularly. Why? Because he was in darkness for years. He was a man who experienced the exile of one king who thought he could play with Babylon. Oh, I don't want to side with you. I'm going to side with Egypt. No, I take it back. Uh, too late. Now the Babylonians are coming in. They take him out. They take all of the people that they could, the royals, into exile. And that king put in someone else. That king plays games and then he sides with the Egyptians again. Oh, pshh. Another exile, and God's people are put into a place of darkness. The text says it was because of their unfaithfulness. They had forgotten the commandments of God. They started playing games not only politically, but also spiritually. I want to read to you in Jeremiah 29, 11. We'll begin in the very beginning of the text. If you have a Bible, pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, we should have it on the screen. Jeremiah 29, I want you to see what God does and anticipates and yearns for his people when they are in seasons of darkness. And so Jeremiah left in Jerusalem, left with 
the old, the children, and those who were maimed, literally left with, you could say, those who could be of no use as slaves. Those who the Babylonians knew wouldn't survive trudging through the desert going all the way into now modern-day Iraq. You realize the journey that people take as immigrants, whether it's going through all the way down from the depths of South America or Central America to try and come into a space of peace, or now who are in Ukraine trying to go through borders and crossing. I mean, it is awful what they have to go through to find a space of peace. But now these people are not going to a place of peace, but bondage. And so Jeremiah, given a word from God, says, send my people a message. Those who are in darkness, those who are in their pit, I want them to hear something from me. And so listen now to what God wants his people to understand. Let's break down the darkness. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jeruz- sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Talk about a lot of big names. And this is what the letter said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen to what God expects of his people in exile. Verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters Increase in number there, do not decrease. When God places you, because I believe he is sovereign, though he allows it, doesn't mean he caused it. He says, when you are in your exile, do not diminish. Emotionally, mentally, physically, and in every way, do not diminish. Do not wallow in despair. Do not find yourself in self-pity. Do not get into a state of depression that you can never get out. I want you actually to prosper. Wait, what? But how? How do you imagine, God, that I could prosper in a state and in a space of being that I just want to cry in? He doesn't delineate how he does it, but he calls his people to it. I don't know what your moment is or what your moment will be when it will be utter darkness. As one theologian says it, the darkness of the soul will come at some point. 
and in your space of darkness, the first call to God's people is, do not fall to diminish, but rather increase in your darkness. The call is to a practical lifting of yourself out of that space of darkness. A friend of mine, in one of the worst situations he ever found himself in, divorced, single father, wondering what the next step is in his life, and he just told me, he would just say, I just had to get out of bed, put on my clothes, have breakfast, and go. Because if I stayed in my bed in the morning, I wouldn't get up out of the bed. When you're in your moment of despair, do everything you can practically to set yourself up to continue to move forward. It's one foot at a time. It's one moment of positivity. It's one positive thought at a time. It's saying, God, I can get through this. I can do this. Lord, you have not let me down to despair or to diminish, but God, you've established me to move forward. Whatever you need to do practically, God says, I want you to increase. Now let's go on next. Pay attention to this now. This doesn't, this, this, this pricked me in the wrong way. Verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait a minute. God, in every way, I should be praying that you would kill and wipe them out from the face of the earth. That woman who talked that smack about me at work and is causing issues, God, would you smite her, her grandchildren, everyone known around her, every neighbor, the dog that walks by her house, may every car she drives go flat, may her bank account go into negative, bankroll the place to be bankruptcy, Jesus, may every sickness come upon her, Lord, may every curse be hers, Jesus, may... That's what we say in our flesh. But what does Jesus say instead? God, would you bless that woman that she might know you and serve you as her own. May she taste and know and see that the Lord is good. May everything that walks before her be blessed. God, may every car she drive make it safely. Jesus, may she find peace in her soul. May the hatred cease. May the evil diminish. May her sins be removed. God, would you elevate her? Would you bless her? Would you call her to holiness? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God, I'm not prepared to say those words. But in reality, when you realize that it's the woman's despairing disposition which has caused her to cause evil for you, you would be praying a different prayer. Because if you knew she was going through a divorce, if you knew that her children hated her, if you knew that she was struggling financially, causing her to lash out at you there, all of a sudden your disposition would change. Now, I made that whole scenario up. I don't know what your moment is. It could be a roommate. It could be a teacher. It could be that girlfriend you've got. 
It could be the spouse the Lord has given you as Adam looked upon the Lord. It's the woman you gave me. It's her Lord. She did it. But God calls his people in every moment, instead of looking at the enemies with disdain, pray for their blessing in some way that their, their mental evil would change. Because in this moment, you can't get out. You are where you are. May they be blessed. Now, this goes against everything that we've read in the Psalms, though, at the same time, doesn't it? Because David was praying that first prayer. Over and over, he prayed that prayer. I mean, he was like so deep in his moment of like, God, judge everything and everyone, their kids, like everybody, take them, you know. So you have those moments when God's people in their frustration fall into that space. But if you want to prosper in your darkness, this was the command he called his people to. Keep going with me here. Verse verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams You encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. What were those people saying? These diviners, these prophets. That their exile would cease soon and they would go home. Some things that we have in the darkness, we have to receive in the darkness. That we might find the light But if you don't take what you need out of that space of darkness, if you don't work on yourself, I know a buddy of mine, we play basketball together, and he said, I knew the darkness was coming because I wasn't taking action in my marriage. There were things we needed to work on, and I just didn't want to work on them. In our season of darkness, I didn't want to make the effort to make the changes to better us And sadly, I'm learning that now in my second marriage. When you're in the space of struggle, struggle through it faithfully there, learning everything you need to there, growing there. It seems strange to think you can grow in darkness, but you can. Do whatever you need in that spot. Now, my buddy, he's on his eighth year of marriage, they've been counseling multiple times, they're living a good life and meaningful one together. But he had to learn something in his darkness. Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist of World War II, he was a prisoner in an internment camp. He said that one of the most difficult things for a person in in a position of suffering and darkness was when they could not find meaning in their suffering. And the moment they thought that everything was utterly hopeless, he literally studied it out as a scientific project, as strange as it is, he would see this over and over. As people lost hope, they would soon pass away. One man who he spoke with one night said, I had this dream, doctor, that on March 30th, we will be set free. And there they were, March 13th. The days started coming closer and closer to the 30th. 
Nothing changed in the air. Nothing happened differently. And Dr. Frankel said that all of a sudden, he started finding himself receiving some kind of physical ailment to his body. He couldn't want to, he didn't want to get up. It was March 25th. Then the next day, he just stopped eating. And then it became the 29th of March, and he just stopped drinking water. And then by the 30th, he was gone. He said over and over, he would find that people who did not find meaning in the suffering found their demise way too soon. Friedrich Nietzsche, the famed atheist, also said the following, He who does He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. He also said this, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. And so now we find ourselves emerging closely to the text that we all look to. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, then I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The last thing God calls his people to is to utterly trust in him in their darkness. When you call upon me in your darkness, then I will be found by you. As the band comes up, I want to just finish with this last thought with you. Listen to this. This comes from the great controversy, the very introduction by Ellen White. If you've never read that book, man, I can't encourage you enough to read it, particularly in these times, as people want to always say that we're near the soon coming of Jesus. I don't know when that will be, but I do know that time will not get more peaceful, but darker as the days go on. Listen to this. In the great final conflict, Satan will employ the same policy manifest the same spirit and work for the same ends as he did in preceding ages of darkness. That which has been will be, except that the coming struggle will be marked with a terrible intensity such as the world has never witnessed. Satan's deceptions will be more subtle, his assaults more determined, and if it were possible, quoting from Mark, he would even lead the elect astray. Satan will get more subtle. I want to encourage you now in a few different ways. How do we navigate the darkness we find ourselves in? I want to leave you with some practical things I want you to employ in your life in the coming days and months and particularly maybe years in a time when you'll experience some darkness. Number one, I want you to recognize what kind of darkness you're in first. 
there are several different types of darkness that I kind of came up with. There's a first, there's a self-induced darkness. This is the kind of darkness that looks like addictions, crippling debt, certain health situations, failing all of your classes. It's a darkness that's caused by our negligence, by our foolishness, saying yes to that guy when you knew he was not the guy for you. It was saying yes to the video game night after night when the test was coming on Friday. It was continuing to say, yes, I'll go out, yes, I'll go out, yes, I'll go out, and go negative in your bank account till it goes to the loan debtors. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Self-induced darkness. Dr. Deal, my wife and I met with him. He's a preeminent preventative lifestyle medicine doctor. We met with him because we just want to make sure our health is going to be in tip-top shape. And he said, Philip, coronary artery disease doesn't come tomorrow. It comes 20 years from now. But it comes because of neglect of people every bite they take. Oh, that was hard. It was tough today because I had way too many sweets too. Recognize the darkness in you're in. Is it a self-induced darkness? Number two, is it a tragic darkness? These are moments when there's just nothing you can do about it. it there was an earthquake. A bomb happened. A drunk driver happened to hit you on a highway. Uh, someone made a decision that you did not agree with at all. It's a tragic moment because there's n almost no control you have over the darkness you find yourself in. Ukraine, all of these people, did they ask for it? No. Third, there's national darkness. When wars emerge, when there's economic and moral collapse in a society, it's the kind of darkness caused when leadership, is corrupt and foolish, leading their citizens to suffer while their leaders just seem to play chess with their people. Knowing the kind of darkness you find yourselves in helps you navigate a way out. If it's a self-induced darkness, then you go to step two. You have to run from the spaces that have caused you to fall into it. That might look like getting into an AA. Might look like needing to get a therapist. Renella, shout out if you're over here. It might leave Fifi, where are you at? Somewhere over here. It might mean you need to take some steps to distance yourselves from certain friends, distance yourselves from certain environments. One of the biggest change agents, Dr. Keto is here tonight, one of my good friends, he and I were talking about this. One of the best ways to ensure that change will happen in the life of a person will be when they move themselves literally out of an environment, when they're around different people, different smells, tastes, and experiences. When my mom was a guidance counselor and she was doing a lot of work in poverty studies, literally I remember when she told me this. She said the only way someone can get out of poverty, unfortunately, is when they move themselves out of a community of poverty. Because those who are in poverty, the moment someone gets something, everyone comes in, hey, could you owe me some money? Could you give me a little bit? And that's the same thing that happens every time we find ourselves in utter darkness. Find a way to remove yourself utterly out of it. Number two, seek God with a whole heart. This looks like a whole heart of repentance 
and then obedience, and then trust, and then seek to enjoy him fully. And lastly, it means utterly giving up control and saying, God, I need you to step in. Holy Spirit, be here now. Please, oh Father. As the band sings this song, I want you to pay attention to the words tonight again. It's the last song that they sang with us. I want you to hear the word of Jesus to you in this moment. Friend, I don't know if tonight you're experiencing a darkness. I don't know if you might have been in a season of darkness and you're walking out, and I don't know if it's coming for you this year, but what I do know is that we serve a good God who loves his people. We serve a good God who knows the plans that he has for you. And it might mean in this American society where we seem to run from suffering that you just might have to go through it for a while. You might need to be in your season for a while. And that's okay. Because in that space of suffering, God is doing something. When you're in your season of darkness, don't forget what the Lord showed you in the time of light. Remember that. Hold on to that. Because you remember this? When you're in your flames and you're in your suffering, that's when light emerges in the darkness. When people can say, I see God in you. I see what God's doing in this people. I see that people who can declare his name in the middle of their suffering can point still upward. I see you, God. I see you through that person. I see you through those people. Friends, I don't want you to suffer, though, alone either. It broke my heart several weeks ago when our community was rocked, when our friend Jalen, who took pictures here in this very room, brother of Tommy, one of our Anthem crew members, community director, when his brother Jalen took his life. And I spoke to some of his friends, and the one of the things I just kept hearing over and over, I just had no idea. I had no idea he was hurting so bad. And friend, if you are in your moment of darkness and suffering, don't do it alone. You need to tell someone. You need to speak out about it. You need to share. And someone else might hold your hand in the midst of it. And you go through it together. And you sing a word that we might hold on to, Tiana. Because I can't sing, but... But in my moment of darkness, I'm holding on to her and she can. She definitely can. I'm holding on your hand. I'm going to call you a girl at some time. <laughs> but that's what we need in these seasons, and that's why community is so important. I see the tears in your eyes tonight. I see some of you wiping things away. I know stuff's going on in this spot tonight. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit might meet you here tonight. As we sing this final song, may it be your prayer on your heart tonight that Jesus is in your pain. He's in this moment. But be faithful to him through your suffering. And stand together. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. 
We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.